0: Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, that second stanza really encapsulates why we were redeemed. We were redeemed so that God and the Lamb would be praised. That we would sing on to God and to the Lamb, uh, who is the great I Am. That we would sing His praise. We're the only ones that can sing His praise. Those that have been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ are the only ones that can give praise to to the Lord. And that is why we have been redeemed as the people of God. God calls us to be a people that worships Him and serves Him. You find that with the Exodus. They were called to be released as the Lord told Moses to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go that they might worship and serve me. You find then in 1 Peter that same theme that we have been those that have been taken captive. By the Lord Jesus Christ, who were once slaves of Satan and sin, so that we would be released to be a people of praise to our God. That we would sing His wondrous praise. And that's what you find in this particular psalm. Uh, I've told you before that there are different genres of psalms uh, within the 150 psalms. You have the psalms that are royal psalms that speak of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have those psalms of praise that we have here this morning. You have those of thanksgiving, those that are psalms of lament and psalms of wisdom as well. Uh, Think of Psalm 90, the psalm of Moses wrote. And it speaks about, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. We might understand how to live our lives as the people of God. So part of this praise that David gives here in Psalm 145 is that God is truly good. God is essentially good. God is always good. And as I've mentioned to you before, that be careful when you get from point A to point D B, and you want to say, "God is good." Uh, the whole thought of that is because I got from one place to another, God is good. What if you wouldn't have gotten to point B? What if your plane went down? What if you had a car crash? Is God no longer good because you didn't make it to your destiny? Your destination? God is always good. We have to have that in our mind continually. That is what David is praising God for God's goodness and God's care. You also find here that there is a context. The only people that can praise God for His goodness are the redeemed, not the unbeliever. The unbeliever is one who is held captive to Satan and sin. He does not have a desire or the ability to praise the true and living God. He does not have the heart of worship. That is given to us at salvation. Faith is a gift from God. A heart of worship is a gift from God. If we did not have a heart of worship, we would be idolaters. We would be those, along with much of the world, worshiping the idols of the world. The the animals, the four-footed creatures, the creeping things of the earth, things of man's imagination and devising. Isaiah even speaks of the man who cut down the tree, took half, threw it into the fire, and cooked his food. And the other, he set up as an idol and said, you are my God. That's how fallen the mind of man is. That's how perverse the mind of man is. And we would have been there too, if not for the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And beloved, we had deserved to be left as idol worshipers, creature worshipers. We deserved that. That's part of the penalty of sin. Man has fallen away from the true and living God. And therefore, he serves the things which are not God. He's a superstitious individual. He walks about in this world doing superstitious things, looking, crossing his finger, praying to the stars and to the moon and to all other kinds of creatures within this world. He is an idolater. Uh, There is only one hope and one praise, one rejoicing, one salvation... And His name is Jesus. And if you have been brought out of darkness, out of the cave of darkness, the disability of the mind to be able to think, if you've been renewed in your mind by the Holy Spirit, that is your praise. That is your testimony. That is your confession. That is your joy, your crown, and rejoicing is your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him. And it's Him that we thank. It's Him that we praise. Thanksgiving is something of uh, not a day, but it's an attitude of heart of the believer. We are to be thankful to God in all things and for all things. Even the difficult things that come upon us in this veil of tears, we can be thankful to God for. It is hard. It's difficult. But we are to be thankful for those dark providences as well because God is teaching us. He is giving us certain particular learning lessons when we go through the heartaches and the hardships of this life. He has a purpose in everything that He does. Whether we understand it or not, beloved, God has a purpose in everything that He does. And we can rejoice that He does have a purpose. Does that mean that we're going to understand everything? No, we don't. There are things we just will not understand in this life. Things that are difficult, things that are hard. Things far far harder for us to understand because we can't plumb the depths of God's mind with regards to things that aren't revealed. Only particular general things that God is working all things together for the good of His people. But God does some things in Scripture even as Job lamented. Job had such a difficulty that he even cursed the day of his birth because of the heartaches that he was going through at the time. We can understand that to some degree. We've been through the difficult days and difficult times. We see the same thing here with the psalmist. But nevertheless, we are to be a people that praises God even through the dark valleys that we go through, because God has a purpose. You know, when you have a surgery and uh, they take a an anesthesia and they put it around where they're going to cut just simply to numb the skin. And if it's a surgery where you're going to be awake when it happens, you're thankful for the anesthesia that they give locally in that area. Now, when they give that anesthesia, it doesn't take away all the pain. As a matter of fact, it's pretty painful getting the anesthesia. But it does cut the pain of the surgery. So it is in understanding the truth. It doesn't take away all the pain that we go through in life, but it does certainly curb the pain of knowing that God is for us and therefore who can be against us, and knowing that God has a purpose in everything that He does. And so we can rejoice and we can be a people of praise to our God. And that's the question for each of us Are you a person of praise? Are you a person of praise when you go through the dark night of the soul? Are you a person of praise when you go through the hard, dark providences of God? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. And beloved, that is the prescription that we need when we're going through those dark days, is to bring praise to God. It's to sing Him praise. Are you one who only praises God when things are bright and sunny and the bank account is full? You know, we ought to learn the, the lesson from Habakkuk. You know, when, the, when there is no fruit on the vine, and when there is no calves in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will continue to praise Him. We find that in the life of Job as well. Job, in all of his struggles and difficulties, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And some of you don't like that. Because the Lord gives to us and the Lord takes away, beloved. And it's hard because we want to hold things with a clenched fist. And God gives us things as stewardship. Parents, you have children that are not yours in this sense. They belong to the Lord. In the sense they belong to you is that they don't belong to somebody else but they belong to you. God has given them to you, entrusted you with these children. And He has every right to take them back, and He does. And some of you have lost children from this life, some of you have lost spouses. And you know, all of us in here, at one point, at some time, are going to lose loved ones. It's the fallen world in which we live. And God has the right to exact back what He has given as a stewardship. Remember that, and don't hold things with a clenched fist. Because you are simply a steward of what God has given. And then you will be able to say with Job, The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Notice, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job didn't just praise God when things were going his way. Even in the most heartache of his life, the most difficult time of his life, He praised God, and he said that the Lord's name is to be praised, and that's a continual, perpetual praising from the people of God. This is a psalm of praise, and we are to be a people of praise. Praise to our God. Look at our text, verse 14. Now when you read from verse 1 up to verse 14, what you find is, number one, David begins extolling God in verse 1. He's the one blessing the name of God. Then you find in verse 4 that a generation shall praise your name. Why is that? Because they are being taught and instructed by the previous generation to be a people of praise unto the Lord. And so that generation perpetually passes on to the next generation a time of praise and worship of our God. That is children being taught by parents who were taught by parents who were taught by parents and so on and so forth. And sometimes you have in congregations, generational. You have the grandparents, you have the parents, you have the children. And they have been taught, they have been instructed in the home to worship the Lord our God. And so you have the generational thing going on here. You have David again saying, I will meditate on God's glorious splendor in verse 5. And then he goes on and notice how it is contained in a covenantal aspect. This is a context. It's a nation Israel. It's the people of God. It's the people who professed his name, believing on him. It's not the unbelievers. The unbelieving world does not praise God. So don't try to insert into a text, beloved, something that is not there. Read and understand things contextually, otherwise, you are going to mangle the text of Scripture. David is speaking to the people of God. Do you notice something when you read Scripture that it's not written to unbelievers? It is written to the people of God. It takes the key of Christ to be able to understand any of the Scriptures. So when the apostles and the prophets, they wrote, they wrote to the people of God. And it may be woe, it may be weal, no matter what it was, blessing or cursing that came, but nevertheless, it was to Judah, it was to Jerusalem, it was to the people of God. It was written to the church. So, keep the things in context. So David says here in verse 14, The Lord upholds all who fall. Now, is that a general statement? Are you reading that? That everybody who falls, believer and unbeliever, that's what it means that God is the one who upholds them. Now, you know in that particular sense, in that specific sense, God does not uphold the unbeliever. The unbeliever falls to his own destruction. God upholds His people in all who fall. All of His people who fall. And maybe you've had a fall. Maybe you've gone through a fall. Maybe you've gone through a difficulty in your life. And you realize that the Lord has upheld you. That the Lord has kept you. Spurgeon has a great quote with regards to the people of God. And he speaks of it with regards to the ship. A believer may fall on shipboard many times in his life, but he can never fall overboard. Why is that? He is upheld by the hand of our God. God upholds him. It means to uphold means to prop him up. It's to keep him up. God is able to keep us up. That's a covenant promise that we have. God will keep us from falling out of the hands of Christ. No one can snatch us. We cannot jump out of the hands of Christ. God upholds His people. Are you not thankful for that, beloved? Are you not thankful that it's our God who has redeemed us, who upholds us with an everlasting love? He loves his people in Jesus Christ and therefore he upholds them. Notice what he does. He raises up all who are bowed down. The people of God prior to salvation in Jesus Christ were those that were bowing under affliction. They were those that were bowing under the the affliction not only of the earthly rulers but also of Satan. Jesus speaks about a woman who was bowed down. She was bent over twelve years. All of her lifelong, at this point, she had you know this, this life of believing, bowed down, being ensnared by Satan, it says. She was released. She was one who was released and upheld. He raised her up. This could be a physical bowing, a physical problem, a pain, a struggle. Jesus went around healing and doing good to all. Paul healed a whole island one time. The island of Malta. All who had sicknesses came to him. They were raised up in that way. But also has reference to spiritual. Many times we are bowed down spiritually. We're struggling. We're groveling. We're in the dust. You find that with David in Psalm 32. After he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. You find him groveling in the dust. And he says his inward parts had dried up. He's bowed down. He's one who's bent over. He's one who cannot straighten himself up. And so what happens? It's the Lord. The Lord comes to him. And then David sings that psalm of Psalm 51. Of the Lord has renewed unto me the joy of my salvation. The Lord does that. He lifts up those who are bowed down. But that's confidence that we can have even through the dark trials that we go through. God will always uphold his people. (coughs) Nothing ultimately snatches us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't understand all that the scripture speaks. And I don't understand all the providential dealings of God. But I do understand main and plain things of scripture. That is a great comfort to my heart to know that I am in the hands of my God. And it's a great comfort to know that no matter what comes to me, it has been filtered through his hands. It comes to me in love, no matter how hard and how difficult and how harsh it may seem on the surface. We know that it comes from the hand of God's love. And so David is rejoicing in this. We can rejoice that God is the one who raises up Look at the eyes of all. The all again. We want to immediately go to everything. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. Do the unbelievers look expectantly to God? Are they crying out to the Lord? Are they looking to Him for their food, daily provision? No, no. This is the believer again. The unbeliever doesn't even want God in any of his thinking. Now, if you want to say, well, it's the animal kingdom. I don't know any animals That look to heaven and ask God for food. It's speaking here contextually again of the people of God. All the people of God are those that look expectantly to God. He's the one who provides. Notice you think of Elijah. When he was by the brook Kidron. Who supplied for him his need? It was the Lord. And the Lord uses a secondary mean of ravens bringing meat to Elijah. Elijah and a jar of water, and prepared for him. Think of Jonah, and the Lord caused a vine to grow up and provide shade for him. Who provided for him? It was the Lord. The Lord always provides, and so the people of God look expectantly to the Lord. We are called to do this. To keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on looking and waiting and hoping. Canons of Dort speak about this when you go through difficult times to wait upon a season of richer grace from the Lord. It's looking expectantly for the Lord to supply our needs. This is you find throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament are the people of God looking to the only one who can supply the things that we have need of and that is the Lord. Uh, Parents, teach your children this. Teach your children, not simply that you keep on asking and asking, but also demonstrate that God answers our prayers. Teach your children and show them by example. Look at what God has done in this situation. We've prayed for this for a long time, and God has answered our prayer. God has brought it to pass. Teach your children to praise the Lord for answered prayers. Teach your children a prayer life. Not just a simple prayer life more of detailed in their life. To bring out detailed things so they're not superficial in their prayer life. Go to Ephesians 3. Look at the prayer of the Apostle Paul as he prays for the saints. Look at Colossians chapter 1 where he prays for the Colossian church. And bring out those aspects of how we are to pray as the people. Teach your children young while their hearts are tender. Teach them now. Children learn. Learn dependency upon the Lord. Cry out to the Lord, because He is the only one who can provide for our needs. Notice the expectantly, because we expect God to provide for us. Why is that? Why do I expect God to provide for all of my needs? Because He has promised. Where is He promised? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's an old archaic English term, want. It means lack. I'm not going to lack ever. Because my good shepherd supplies for the things that I have need of. It doesn't say the things that I want. Sometimes I want things that are not good for me. God gives us the things that we need. He provides our need. Paul even went this far, 1 Timothy 6, as long as we had food and clothing with this we will be content. Is that the modern church? Is that us? As long as we have food, clothing, that we're sheltered, we're provided for in this way, will we be satisfied? Will we be content with the things that God provides? You know that's not the case. We're a discontented people. You know, discontentment really thrives in a prosperous nation. When you see all the prosperity all around you, you want what everybody else has. It's amazing to me. When I watch some of the ways that we human beings respond to things, to material things. Some of the funniest things is the iPhone. Whenever that goes on sale and people line up and spend the night on the sidewalk to be able to be first to get an iPhone... That's the materialism in our country. That is the things of people not satisfied with what you have. Let us be a people that look expectantly to the Lord, who promises to provide for all that we have need of. All that we have for life and godliness is found in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. He is the one who provides for all that is necessary for my salvation. He is the one who has justified me. He is the one who will glorify me. He will sanctify me. He will make me more and more in accordance with His holy image. He has promised me that even though the outward man is perishing, is falling to the earth day by day, the inward man is being renewed. That my mind is being renewed by the working of the Spirit through the Word. It's being transformed, this mind. So that I'm thinking God's thoughts after him more and more. It's a promise. I'm looking expectantly for the Lord to cause me to walk in greater understanding, greater wisdom and revelation. Give these things to me, Lord. That's what we find in Psalm 119. Over and over again, teach me, guide me, lead me, give me. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Why? So that I might keep your commandments. Give me wisdom. Why? So that I might might know you. In a deeper way. Looked expectantly beloved. That's why Jesus said keep on asking. It's a present tense. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on coming to the Lord. Keep on seeking. That's the people of God. God will give you uh, their food in due season. Both physical and spiritual. God feeds us the greatest food that we can have is the manna that came down from heaven. The man who became manna. The manna that became man. Think about that. He is the true bread from heaven, John chapter 6. God feeds and nourishes our souls with the bread from heaven, the heavenly bread. Jesus said that man doesn't live by bread alone alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the heavenly bread, the word, the manna that came down from heaven. The man, Jesus Christ. He is our bread from heaven. He is the one who provides for all of our spiritual hunger and our needs. But you know, beloved, some of you aren't seeking Him. Some of you are looking to the material things to try to satisfy what can never satisfy your soul. Material things cannot satisfy your soul. Christ alone can satisfy the soul. Money can buy you a lot of things, but it can't make you happy and satisfied. The more somebody has, the more that they want. It's what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes it's, it, it's, a, it's a desire that perpetuates and burns like a furnace. More and more, and it rages. I've got to have more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. I just have to have just a little bit more, and then I'll be satisfied. If you're not satisfied with little that you have, you will never be satisfied with much. The satisfaction of the soul, the contentment of the soul. To say with the Apostle Paul, food and clothing, I don't need anything more than that. The basic necessities of life. With this, I'm satisfied. I'm content. So God is the one who gives us the things that we have need of. And so we praise Him. We praise Him for the spiritual needs, the spiritual food, the physical food. Remember who gives you strength to get wealth. Think about just the the things that we take for granted. Who gives you a good night's sleep? The Lord does. Psalm 127. He provides His servants sleep. Rest. Rest. Rest is a blessing from God. You know how miserable we are when we wake up, when we're not rested. Do you give thanks and do you give praise to God for the little things? How about when you go home this afternoon and you have lunch? Are you going to scarf it down without giving God thanks for what He has given to us? Even the the ability to be able to labor, to provide for the food, for the table. Are you going to give God thanks for these things? things that we take for granted. A lot of times, we're so hungry, we say, I'm starving. And not anybody in here that's starved. There's nobody in here that has been in a starving mode. We have an abundance. And so we get home, and we start scarfing and stuffing our face immediately. Because we think that's the most important thing as a physical. It's not. We need to be a people of praise. Praise to God for the wondrous things that he gives to us. Paul said he gives us all things richly to enjoy. All things. Everything God has given to his people to richly enjoy and to give him thanks. He opens his hand and he satisfies the desire again of every living thing. God ultimately is the one who provides for the whole world, doesn't he? In that sense. And it is a marvelous thing. We're talking about the corn that God provides. One seed produces a cob that has seven or eight hundred more corn that are on there. Uh, Each little kernel that's on there. What a wonder. The little things that we plant and how God multiplies it. And ultimately he feeds. He feeds his people. He provides extensively to his people. He opens his hand and pours out the blessing from heaven. Think about what Malachi says about giving. That as we give, you cannot outgive God. The more you give, the more He gives to you, so the more that you can give, you can outgive the Lord. He provides for us in this way. Think about in our giving and whether we have the proper attitude in our giving. We are to look out for not only our own interests, but also the interests of others. So that means when we give as a congregation and individual members of the congregation, We have in our mind not only our own needs, but the needs of others next to us. There are people in this congregation who have needs. And part of us as a whole, gathering together in giving, provides for that need. And that's the attitude of the heart, is that God would be glorified as we look not only for our own, but also for the needs of other members of the body of Christ. So we give self-sacrificially and God continues to supply and we continue to give and he continues to give more so that we might be a giving people that's a wondrous thing people hate I don't know I don't know why people hate things when it comes to giving i'm not commanding you to give god is god commands me to give god commands us to be a giving people why because we emulate our god who pours out abundantly upon us just think about all the stuff that He has given to us and how richly blessed we are, especially in this country as the people of God. And we take that for granted. We need to give praise to God that He opens up His hand and He is the one who satisfies the desire. We have desires. Earthly, humanly speaking, we have desires. We have needs. God meets those needs. And He does so abundantly. God's ways is righteous. Everything that he does is righteous. The casting of the wicked to hell is righteous. When God brings the discipline upon his people and he brings hard and difficult things upon us, when he chastises his people, God is righteous in his doing. When God created the world and he brought the flood, God is righteous in his doing. When God restores one and brings him to salvation and leaves the other in his sin, God is righteous in his ways. So, first principle, God is always good. God is always righteous in all of his ways. Everything that he does is righteous. This is what Abraham was debating with the Lord with regards to uh, Lot and Sodom. You know, if there's 50 righteous in the city, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked, far be it from the God of all the earth, to do wickedly. God would not do wickedly. If there are 50 righteous, I will not destroy Sodom. How about 45? I wouldn't do it for 45. How about 40? How about 35? 30? And he kept whittling down. How about 10? Let me speak one more time. Why is that? Because Abraham knew that there were not 10 righteous people in the city. And the Lord, and righteous and holy, says, I will not destroy the city for ten righteous people in there. And it was destroyed because there were not ten righteous people. And God's doing so was righteous. And when He brings, at the end of the world, the wrath of God upon the unbelieving, God is righteous in all of His ways. Everything that God does is righteous in all of His ways. And He is gracious in all of His works. God is good. God is good to his people. God is good to Israel, Asaph said in Psalm 73. And learn the lesson, beloved. Don't begin about how good God is to Israel, how God is good to the church. And then you begin complaining because you begin looking at the neighbors and what they have. And I don't have what they have. And why would God give to that unbelieving man what he hasn't given to me? And you become angry. You become questioning God's goodness. And you will be just like Asaph. And you will be made to be like a beast. And he says it just that way. I was like a beast before you. I was like I didn't have rationality and reason. And God was righteous to rebuke Asaph. And God is righteous when he rebukes us. God is righteous and good in all of his ways. All of his works show his great goodness and his mercy. Are we a people of praise? Are you a people of praise? Are you a person of praise? This is what David says, that we are to be this people of praise. And we are to reflect. We are to remember. We are to rehearse. We are to repeat these things again and again and rejoice in God's great goodness towards his people. God has given us so much abundantly. He has redeemed us from all our sin and misery. Beloved, we have the promise of the coming kingdom. We have the kingdom that is coming, that is a kingdom of righteousness and holiness. No more sin, no more wickedness, no more rebellion, no more hatred, no more dying, no more sicknesses. No more. This kingdom is coming. God is good to His people. We need to remember that. We need to reflect upon that. We often have at the death of a loved one and how we mourn and carry on and carry on. Beloved, look at they are not lost in this sense. They have gone on to be with the Lord. They are in the church triumphant. They will come back with the Lord. We haven't ultimately lost our loved ones. We speak euphemistically in our culture in that way. We've lost. To lose somebody is for them to go into utter destruction. It's for them to be cast to hell for all eternity. Then you've lost a loved one. You will never see that loved one ever again. Those who die in the Lord are with the Lord. We have not lost them. We're still part of the same church, even as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, David, all the prophets, all the apostles. But we are joined together. What a wonder. Keep on speaking these things to your own heart. Teach your children. Reflect upon them over and over again that your heart might be comforted and God might be praised by a people who are called to be a people of praise. This is what David demonstrates. God is good and he is good all the time to his people. Amen. Shall we pray?